Hello, and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week we'll be discussing 65, Boston Strangler, and Empire of Light. I'm your host, Bill George. With me, as always, almost always, AJ Rebecca and super producer <laughs> Craig Stanton. Welcome back, AJ. I'm back, bitches. I listened to the episode last week. It was actually pretty good. I was going to give both of you shit, but like, you did a great job. Oh, thank you. And then I had like this existential meltdown that I was like, Do, am I even needed? Like, what am I doing here? <laughs> Stop. Well, you'll be pleased to know that that whole episode was generated by an AI. Oh, it was? <laughs> you did, you chatbot GP? It was chat GPT. Fed it a bunch of uh, Sigzy episodes, swapped out your voice for my voice. Oh, Bing, wow. bang, boom. That's crazy. Yeah, Bill, after um, three years of protecting myself and my family, like Joel yes. would do on The Last of Us. I was infected uh-huh. by the novel coronavirus 2019. <sighs> uh, how was it? Thank you for asking. It was weird. Yeah, how'd it go? It was, it was an odd experience. I know when you had it, you were like, oh, it was like the worst flu of my life. Like cold, cold congestion, fever. Yeah. Everything. Yep. Yep. I had no fever. It felt as though I had a really bad head cold and I had mono at the same time. Like I was tired. Like my bones hurt. That was That's my thing when I had Yeah, it. weird. Just so fucking wiped, though, like, for weeks. Like, oh, walk up the stairs with laundry? Like, got to go take a 45-minute nap. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not that out of shape. I, I was like, well, maybe it could be that. But, like, as we talked about the Davis Method, I'm thinking, doing pretty good. Um, but anyways, that was my three weeks. Thank you for, oh, for, for continuing the show without me. You, you boys did a good job. I hope you had really good feedback. Um, from the listeners, Bill, while I was, um, surviving, you were thriving. That's right. Wow. In the city that is in the desert. In fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah. I went out there, uh, for a bachelor party, uh, and it was a hell of a time. I'll tell you, it was a trip. Okay. So. I'm going to just spitball what the normal Vegas bachelor party stuff is. There's probably some sort of pool party you went to, right? Yeah, we went to a... Uh, well, so it was billed as like, oh, on Saturday, we have our own cabana at the pool. And I was like, oh, a relaxing pool day. This will be wonderful. Turns out it's what's called a day club, which is very much like a nightclub, except during, during the, the day. day. Uh-huh. And so uh-huh. we're at the pool and it's starting out and it's like a normal pool party. And then the DJ comes on and wait, the girls wait, wait. come out and they're pouring <laughs> shots. And it's like, oh, we're back at the club. Yeah. All right, I got it. So yes, we did do a day club. Okay. We did a nightclub as well the night before. And uh, Nelly performed, if you remember. Uh, Ever heard of them? Yeah. They're <laughs> going down now, baby. Vocal <laughs> tank top on at this point. Yeah, let me tell you something. He's 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 still got it. I'm gonna tell you, he has still got it. He's uh he's the pride of St. Louis, that man right there. He didn't come out until 1 30 in the morning, but he did show up. So there was that. The only thing I'm getting out of the bed at 1 for is is probably like midnight diarrhea. I don't think I'd be up at 1 30 <laughs> for any other reason than like tummy troubles. I didn't know if I would make it, to be honest. I mean, I think I was the oldest in the group, and I didn't know if I would make it. But to be honest, the club was actually a lot of fun. And we were there till like 3, basically, when they shut down. And then I helped chaperone the fellas back to the hotel. Um, okay. We also went to the gun range. Uh, Nevada has much looser gun restrictions. And so at the range, you can fire just about anything and everything, which we did. So that was pretty Fuck wild. Yeah. What did you shoot? Wow. 
I shot uh, an MP5, nice. a M4 with a red dot, um, an AK with a holographic, and an Uzi. Whoa! So yeah, it was something. The old Call of Duty something. collection. Fucking Christ! Basically, it was like a Black Ops package <laughs> that we paid for. They throw you in a helicopter sick. too, and you shot a fifty cal out of it. Bro, helicopters were an option, but that's like a whole separate deal. Uh, and some of the guys did pay extra to shoot a fifty cal, which was insane because when you fire it they literally yell as much as they can over everybody in the range and just yell 50 and then someone <laughs> fires and you just feel it in your bones the vibration because yeah, the bullets are the size of a ukulele <laughs> it's fucking insane they're like three feet long uh wow. so that was insane and then and then on the final day you know we actually extended the trip beyond what we had planned so on the final day I kind of split from the group uh, got a room with the Bellagio sat by their pool actually relaxed for the day watched the Oscars live uh, and then came back so it was it was a hell of a trip and honestly once in a lifetime I think for me because I don't plan on going to the nightclub to see Nelly again um, but I'm glad I did it was a lot of fun I'm so glad you had fun while I was you know yeah. Winding yourself on your uh, front porch steps. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> okay. What, uh, what was, okay. So you, you went on, you clearly flew on a plane twice. Yes, sure did. Plane movies, what you watch, anything new, Old Faithfuls. Here was what I did for the plane movies. Uh, and I ended up theming them a little bit. So on the way there, it was like a Midwest 50s, 1950s theme. And I watched A League of Their Own and The Founder. And then on the way back, I watched Aaron Sorkin written adaptations based on the early 2000s, Moneyball and Social Network. And so there was a nice uh, pairing because League of Their Own and Moneyball, both movies about baseball. And then The Founder and Social Network, both movies about founders of companies. Uh, and it was like a cool, uh, it ended up being like a cool combination. Okay. As you're, as you're flying over these Midwestern states that you have no interest in visiting. Ex- like, yeah, exactly. Just, yeah. <laughs> so the Hollywood version of this culture. That's <laughs> all I'm interested in. Yeah. Just skipping right over them. How was, um, I was going to say, how was, I haven't watched League of Their Own forever. Oh, that's so good. Still great. It's still great. Yeah. Gina Davis. The, the Tom Hanks with the no crying in baseball and the it, the heart is what makes it great. Like his couple speeches in that movie, still amazing. Betty Spaghetti made me cry again. Like it, it, there's just so many great moments in that movie. It was great. Moneyball I always watch when I fly, so that was a given. Uh, the founder I've, I've seen a million times. I love Social Network though. First time I've seen it in a while, and Social Network man. I, it's got to be literally one of the best movies ever made. Like, I love that movie so much. So, so much. I had, like, all these notes about it, but I won't even get into it. I just, there's so many scenes popped out, and I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot how amazing this was. Sure is. Also, oh, one other note about Moneyball that I had overlooked. Chris Pratt, sneaky good performance from Chris Pratt. Yeah, he plays uh, former Red Sox Scott Hatterberg. Hatterberg. Learning to play first base from catcher. Yeah. he Like, he's can't throw, but he can play first. It's rare for his career, Chris Pratt, at this point, to do like an understated dramatic performance. Well, with some comedy as well, but he was he was great. Uh, it reminds me of when um, the, the my one of my favorite scenes of the movie is when they they you know New Year's Eve they let him in and they're on the couch and they're on like, hey we want you to play first base for the uh, Oakland A's and he's like there's only one problem I don't know how to play first base and Brad Pitt's like oh it's it's not hard is it and then the 
the Ron Washington. Yeah, football. The first base coach is like, it's very hard, <laughs> incredibly hard. It's incredibly yeah. hard. Uh, I love it. Yeah, I actually, I actually did watch Moneyball myself uh, during COVID. It took me three nights to finish it, but um, oh really? Yeah. Watch. Uh, what else did you watch? I rewatched one of your favorite movies. The Man from Uncle. Oh, I love it. Starring Henry Cavill and the cannibal Army Hammer. And Alicia Vikander and Elizabeth Debicki. Yeah. Just all star cast. They're all great. Amazing movie. It's so well done. From the intro animations all the way to the credit roll, it's just a, such a good, fun movie. Um, oh, my God. I love it. Yeah. And um, it's, a, it's a feel good. It's, it's, it just it's got the humor, it's got some good action, it's got great writing. Yeah, I I love love that movie. When I think of when we talk about like heist movies, we say, Oh, Ocean's Eleven is a perfect movie. I will also say that the man from Uncle in that same vein of category, it's not really a heist movie, but it's Yeah. I mean basically it's a heist movie. Um it's a perfect movie from start to finish. There's nothing wrong with that film. Agreed. And the Cavill hammer, like dynamic and how they play off each other is so great. It's also funny from an international perspective because Army Hammer is American playing a Russian. Henry Cavill is British playing an American. And Hugh Grant is playing himself. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of different actors from different places playing other nationalities in that movie. It's so funny. Um, I also watched a Guy Ritchie movie, Guy Ritchie directed movie. I finally got around to watching The Gentleman uh, from like two, three years ago. It's on Netflix now. I'm working through my Netflix list the my list because uh, I actually I pared it down to a reasonable amount I can actually get through it so I'm kind of just working through it a gentleman was on there finally watched it uh, disappointing to be honest not my favorite guy Richie if I were to give it a should I go see it review I would have given it a no got a few good scenes some good little flashes here and there but the entire movie is structured as Hugh Grant telling um a story like uh and they kind of cut back and forth between that and the story he's telling and it makes him an unreliable narrator which means some of the sequences you see don't actually didn't actually play out the way he describes them which kind of puts the whole thing to me like in question so it makes it like why am i even bothering and like i don't mind us i don't mind bookending a movie with stuff like that but when the entire movie is structured as someone telling you the story i, I just got old i just didn't like the structure just tell me the story if the story's good enough just tell it to me normally just show me the sequences I don't need the interstitials. So wasn't my favorite, but I did finally get around to it. And as a reminder, that's the one with like Colin Farrell, Jax from um, Sons of Anarchy, Charlie Huntingham or whatever. Yeah. Charlie Huntingham. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey. So not worth it. I should not go see it. I Yeah. I wouldn't bother. I wouldn't bother. McConaughey also kind of feels like he's phoning it in a little bit. Yeah. Well, um, which was disappointing because I was excited to see him in the Guy Ritchie universe so to speak um but i don't know it didn't do much for me so moving on well bill uh your favorite time of the year happened just a few short weeks ago last week two weeks ago uh the 95th uh -huh. annual academy awards are in the books with everything everywhere all at once dominating the show winning seven awards out of its 11 nominations bill i know you watched it live in in an earlier time zone you watch it at like Five, the sun was still out for you in Vegas. Yeah, it was weird. It was weird to watch the Oscars with daylight. I will say that. What do you think of the broadcast? What do you think of the winners? Give me your, um, give me Bill's Oscar recap, if you will. This is our whole news section. Everything else can wait. This is it. This is it. We're you, ready. This is, the mic is yours. I got a list of notes here. Um, over. Let's start with the overall. 
the broadcast was meh. Like it was blah, which is what we expected the year after the slap that they would kind of regress back to a very safe, comfortable presentation, which they did. So, you know, Jimmy Kimmel as the host, I thought was actually pretty funny. Um, he addressed the slap in a comical way, like a couple times, but never like, I didn't think he ever went a little too hard, but he also didn't like protect the shield. Like he didn't avoid it. Like he, he, he tackled it. And I thought he did that admirably. So he thought he was pretty funny. Um, so that was fine. The host was fine. Getting into the broadcast itself, they did add back in all of the awards. They didn't do any like record it during commercials and then speed up the playback or skip any or whatever. They put all the awards back in, which I think was good. Good choice. Um, but the show still went 35 minutes over. So I feel like putting the awards back in was good, but I would have honestly stuck not having music performances because that was another thing they added back in this year was performances of the original song nominees. And those I personally could do without. I feel like they just add a whole lot of extra time. Oh, hard disagree. I feel like it's a nice breakup from all the the talking to have a little bit of a, a, a break from just people reading off a script and ad-libbing horribly. It, it was a nice little... Really? Ah, I don't know. It's, it's, not, it's not for me. Okay. A little musical palate what? cleanser? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is. A musical palate cleanser. Maybe. I, maybe if they could add them in and keep it on time. But when we're running that over, that would be one of the things I would lose. The other two things that I know a lot of people were talking about, a lot of think pieces written about this and also attributed to running over, are were the, basically the two sponsored advertisements in the middle of the awards. Because ABC slash Disney, parent company, put on the awards. And they decided to use the Academy Awards as a springboard to show, hey, here's footage from our new Little Mermaid movie. And then, then not only that, they said, here's a, a sizzle reel for Warner Brothers who just hit like a 100-year anniversary. Let's honor Warner Brothers with a propaganda video. And it's like, this is the first time they've, that, that, that sort of blatant capitalism has come into the Academy Awards in the show. And I, uh, I didn't care for it. Again, we ran 35 minutes over, which is frustrating. Uh, less frustrating for me because that was only 8.30 my time at the time. Uh, but yeah, it's super annoying. And also, The Little Mermaid, I mean, Looks that's, I, I wouldn't awful. show that footage off if you're, <laughs> if you're trying to sell tickets. Yeah, it looked bad. It looks so bad. All right, wait. P- pause there for a second. We'll go back to The Little Mermaid. I'm pretty sure you were the person that said to save time on the Academy Awards that uh, um, either vendors or uh, studios should be able to show footage as as things during the Academy Awards as a way to not go to commercial break, as a way to like kind of fund not only uh, the show but also then to plug shamelessly plug their own footage in their own projects, which sounds like. That's basically what happened, and you were so mad about it. But if they did that but didn't have a commercial break, you'd be okay with it? Allow, allow me to explain. You are correct. I feel like I feel like it'd be cool if the show was ad-free and in doing so was sponsored by various studios. And so instead of commercial breaks, they show trailers of like like debut trailers for new movies. Similar to the video game awards, where the video game awards is like now become like the place where you see the first footage of new games that'll come out over the next year. Like that's where everyone like puts their debut trailers. And so that's like now the fun of watching that show. 
And I think that'd be cool if they said, instead of commercial break, boom, here we're going to go over to the first trailer for fucking Fast and Furious 11 or whatever. I think that's a cool idea. But that would still be acting as a commercial versus this was like presented on stage. Here comes somebody out to the podium to talk about The Little Mermaid. And because that is owned by the parent company of the person putting on the awards, it just had a different feel to me than if you open up the field for people to buy advertising space across any of the four companies that run multimedia. Um, The vast network of four companies that own everything. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Okay. So that's that's the difference for me. I understand where you're coming from, and I know it sounds like I'm it sounds like I'm talking on both sides of my mouth, but I think there's a, there's a distinction there when you open it up versus just having Disney have carte blanche to do whatever they want because it's their broadcast. Let's go back to the Little Mermaid. Uh, sure, it looked as though it was a fan fiction made <laughs> film for like a thesis for uh, film school. It really did. It looked like. Somebody shot it on green screen and then they just added floaty hair after the fact. Yeah. Like that's all it like it didn't look and I couldn't the, tell what was underwater and what was above water. I, I don't know. Even the scenes where she's on the rock singing for the first time, it looks like they were like at West Dennis <laughs> Beach and someone had like buckets of water just fucking just clams flying everywhere. <laughs> cranking her in the face with cold seawater. Yeah. Is someone smoking like Marlboros in the back and b- banging on high noons? Yeah, it looked awful. What are, what are we doing, yeah, Disney? It looked like they were in like a studio back lot. I could almost picture the guy <laughs> with the fucking mic over her. Uh, yeah, not great. All right, back to the Academy Awards. Were you were you surprised by anything? Were you excited by anything? Or did you did you know going into it? what was going to happen for the most part. It seemed like the the money line was pretty spot on in terms of what we expected. Um, and, you know, you can't, first of all, regardless of what you think should win, like you can't watch the Oscars expecting justice. That's that's folly. Like you, you got to watch the Oscars just for the experience and the ever looming possibility <laughs> of a train wreck. Uh, you can't go in there like expecting the best thing to win. That being said, everything everywhere all at once, you know, I think... Uh, it was definitely the heavy favorite. We talked about this in the last episode. I thought maybe the preferential balloting might knock it. It didn't. So clearly it did resonate with enough people. And not only that, it won seven, I think, out of its 11 nominations. Um, so it at three out of the four acting awards, crazy. So clearly that movie um, was huge within the Academy, which is great. And I thought it was a great movie. It was in my list for top picks of the year. So, um, so I was fine with like none of the winnings really jumped out of me. The only one I guess that was a surprise was Sarah Polly winning for best screenplay for women talking, which shocked me a little bit because I honestly thought the screenplay was the weakest part of that movie. But I mean, that's me. Um, I will say when you asked about surprises, the first thing that came to mind, I was surprised by the number of standing ovations. It used to be, it used to be almost never like it was like the lifetime achievement award was when you would get a standing ovation at the Oscars. Like that was it. And maybe a best actor, uh, or actress if it was like super standout. But the they stood for the sound mixers for Top Gun, which like, hey, Top Gun Maverick deserved best sound and I'm glad they won. But like standing ovation at the 95th Annual Academy Awards, a uh, little much. And it was funny because I was thinking that in my head and then Ken Jennings uh, tweeted, if you remember Ken Jennings from Jeopardy fame. Jeopardy guy, yeah. Uh, he's very funny if you follow him on Twitter. But he tweeted, is 
is that a standing O for the Top Gun sound mixers? That used to be for Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> like that was when they would give standing ovations. <laughs> so yeah, so I was surprised by by that. But yeah, other than that, uh, Brendan Fraser winning Best Actor I thought was great. That one deserved a standing ovation. Michelle Yeoh was fantastic. She gave a great speech. All the speeches I thought were pretty strong. Um, and the only other thing I had in my notes here... A bunch of snubs for the in memoriam section, which happens every year. Yeah, I saw um, a couple of tweets related to that. Yeah, a lot of people were upset. Um, Gilbert Gottfried and Haish, um, Tom Sizemore, which that one's a little more understandable because that only happened a few days before, and they obviously. How had... do you miss those two people? I know Gilbert Gottfried and Haish was yeah, shocking. But how, how hard is it to add someone into the freaking slideshow? Just Google, hey, who who was famous that died last um, year? Paul Servino from Goodfellas. That was a lot of people were upset about that one. I saw his daughter's tweet. She was fired. <laughs> she was furious. Yep, as she should be. Um, the other one that was the most shocking, actually, to me, was uh, the young woman in Triangle of Sadness. One of the movies nominated for Best Picture, mind you, this year. Triangle of Sadness. The actress in that unexpectedly died at the age of 32 this year. This was her last film, The Triangle of Sadness. Um, so she's like in the sizzle reel for like one of the nominees for Best Picture, but then does not get in the in memoriam of the same year. Like, I was shocked. Um, they got to figure that let's, out. Let's do an expose on the on the on the backdoor dealings of the people who died celebrations of the Oscars. There's gonna there's something going on there. Yeah. And now they've added like a QR code to like scan to go to the website to see more like because they can only fit so much in the show. I get it. But like some of these are inexcusable. Um, so that was, you know, standard Oscar fare on that one. Well, another year in the books, Bill. Another year of just just yep. utter disappointment. Um, uh-huh. Nothing's much. ever going to change. We might talk about it. We will talk about it. You will talk about it. Um, but as long as you feel better about getting that off your chest, that makes me and our listeners happy. On to, yeah, I would, just to summarize, solid C plus. Yeah, I wouldn't even. I would give it an un, ungraded, an A, not applicable. <laughs> In the should I go see it segment this week, we'll be talking about three movies: sixty five, The Boston Strangler, and Empire of Light. According to IMDb.com, 65 is a movie about an astronaut who crash lands on a mysterious planet only to discover he is not alone, starring Adam Driver. Uh, Bill, should I go see it? Uh, it's a no. This is a no. Um, and it's a bummer because I kind of went into it being like, all right, I love Adam Driver. I love sci-fi movies. It's a tight 90 minutes. It's like an interesting concept. Um, you know, I'm, I don't expect it to be the best movie ever, but maybe it'll be fun or like a hidden gem perhaps. And unfortunately, uh, it was not. Um, it was just not very good. Where did this movie come from? I just I felt like I saw a trailer for it three weeks ago and it was like, it's in theaters next Friday. And I was like, I had no idea this was coming. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> it seems like it's one of those movies that you know, they put a decent amount of budget into it, um, made it. It probably didn't test as well as they thought or the studio didn't think as highly of it as they thought and they decided that they would dump it in February, March. Like, this is post-Oscar uh, dumping season for movies that they are not good enough to be a summer blockbuster and they're not good enough to be a prestige movie and they just kind of put it out. So it definitely got lost in the shuffle, which is why 
when I was looking at movies that I wanted to go review, I'm like looking at the listings and most of them I had already seen or was just not interested whatsoever. And then I was like, oh yeah, 65, forgot about that thing. So that's when I was like, I'll go check it out. So is it basically predators with dinosaurs? Like, is this guy from the future, but he visits Earth 65 million years ago? Or is he from another planet like Earth that is super smart and advanced and this takes place 65 million years ago? Or the latter. The latter. Okay, so he's from an advanced... So he is... Yes. They open with with title cards about... They got to explain it? Uh, advanced, advanced, yeah, oh yeah, advanced civilizations traveling the galaxy, whatever. And he j- does he speak? So, does he speak English? Yes. This is the dumbest premise I've ever heard of my entire life. Let me explain the concept. Let me explain the concept because it's not it's not bad for a concept. It's 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 the advanced mm. civilizations traveling the stars, whatever. He's a pilot. He is on a long-term mission into uncharted space, not unlike Star Trek. Um, he's got a bunch of people in cryotubes in the in the fucking ship. He's the pilot. They they're inseminated, or he will do that once they land. It's <laughs> <laughs> a valid question. They are they are in stasis. It's like a couple families oh, in stasis full families. or whatever. All right, we don't involve yeah, the yeah. kids. Okay, go. He's traveling through space. They're trying to check out whatever. Unexpected, undocumented asteroid field comes out of nowhere. Ship gets hit, crash lands. And then like 20 minutes into the movie, it like does like a pullout and it's like Earth 65 is like the title card. And then it says like million years ago. So we know that he's now on Earth 65 million years ago. And so he's on the planet. One of the cryotubes has a young girl in it who does not speak English. Uh... And he speaks English, obviously, for our benefit. And so she survives the wreck as well. So now he finds her, and now he has to try to get home with with her. How does he speak a language that hasn't been invented yet? You're real hung up on the language thing, huh? It's a. It, this is. I mean, I hate to use this defense, AJ, but it's a movie. Like I don't. I like for English audiences. I don't know what else to tell you. Okay. They didn't. You know. Did you watch? I'd like Torah, Torah, Torah. Like the Japanese didn't speak English either, but like we're watching a movie, so they gotta they gotta do something here. The the movie uh, uh, presupposes that English is an inevitable outcome of the universe and the cosmos that will just occur wherever life occurs. They made it so that the the uh, the girl does not speak English because they're coming from a different place with different languages, but they have to have somebody speak English. Okay. Uh, so anyway, they're on Earth 65 million years ago. So instead of crash landing on an alien planet and fighting aliens, you're on Earth fighting dinosaurs. So it's like, a, I think it's a cool idea for a sci-fi movie where subbing out the like random made up aliens in for dinosaurs is, I thought it was a cool idea. I thought it was kind of cool. Here, here, ready for this one, Bill? <laughs> yeah. Ready? Who was the original dinosaur hunter? Turok? Turok the fucking dinosaur hunter. <laughs> that was the premise of the game. That you were this fucking futuristic Navajo uh, deathbringer that happened to kill fucking dinosaurs 65 million years ago. Yeah, I mean, Turok was one of my favorite N64 games of all time. Yeah, Craig's looking very confused. <laughs> Craig's very confused. Yeah. Anyway, the players point assume is- the role of Native American <laughs> space marine Joseph Turok. That's the whole premise of the fucking game. 
Oh god, that movie was, that game was so great. That's what I'm saying. They basically made they basically made Turok the dinosaur hunter. Anyway, to summarize the movie, uh the effects were passable 70% of the time. They were great 10% of the time, and then they were just bad the other 20% of the time. There's a very drab color palette you would not appreciate, AJ. A lot of day for night mm. that you would not appreciate. Um, uh. The young girl not speaking English, uh, I get it, but it also keeps the movie from exploring any themes or having any potentially interesting dialogue. There's not a lot of dialogue in the movie, which kind of made my mind start to wander. Like I, I was never really in the moment in this movie. It never really grabbed me. Sure. It also relies, it's a movie that relies on the aesthetic of danger. Like the situation appears dangerous because it's a guy and a dinosaur. But like it doesn't ever feel dangerous. You know what I mean? Because you're not invested. Yeah, because he's, why? Because he's got a plasma rifle? He does have a plasma rifle. That is true. <laughs> God, come on. Standard issue Native American space marine <laughs> shit. No, he's not Native. The movie's not Native American. <laughs> the game, anyway. It just it never really grabbed me and got me super interested. So it didn't really work. It it had some similar themes to something like Interstellar. Got it. Stylistically, it's it's similar to Gravity, but like neither of the like it doesn't capture the essence of either of those. Not to mention we just watched nine hours of The Last of Us where a guy is trying to save a surrogate daughter and like so we just saw that done well. So now to see it tough timing thrown in here, it just doesn't doesn't really work. So it's a, it's a pass. It's a pass. It's a like it's a maybe catch on HBO late at night type of movie. Okay. Bill, the next movie we will be talking about is The Boston Strangler, according to imdb.com. Loretta McLaughlin was the reporter who first connected the murders and broke the story of the Boston Strangler. She and Jean Cole challenged the sexism of the early 1960s to report on the city's most notorious serial killer, Bill should I go see it? Oh, yes. This is an easy yes. Uh, I get the feeling this will end up in my top 10 of the year. Whoa! Um, me? I mean, top five would be a stretch, but top 10 for sure. It's fantastic. It's the best thing I've seen in a while. It is a uh, Hulu original, uh, which is almost a shame. Similar to Prey, which is also Hulu original. Like, yeah. the, It was film worthy. I would have seen this in a theater. I love that. Um the the high concept sort of tagline, if you will, is this movie is basically Spotlight meets Zodiac. You have like the newsroom element of reporters digging in from Spotlight, and then you have a serial killer on the loose that nobody can kind of crack the code on like Zodiac. Um, it's those things kind of combined. And it is pure David Fincher in look. It is not directed by David Fincher, for the record. But man, does it... Like I've never seen anyone ape David Fincher's style so convincingly because this movie looks and feels exactly like Zodiac, Gone Girl, Social Network, House of Cards. Like it's that feel. I love that. So it's and and, and like Mindhunter. Mindhunter was the Fincher show. This is basically the Mindhunter season three that we've always wanted but we'll never get. Except it's and the focus is the Boston Strangler. Um, Kieran Knightley is the lead and she does an American accent, which I don't know that I've ever seen her do before. Um, and she, she crushes it. She's great. Um, like you mentioned, she plays uh, Loretta McLaughlin, who's a newspaper reporter that makes the connection between sort of disparate stories about women being killed. She kind of looks and finds connections, um, and then coins the name Boston Strangler. And she teams up with uh, another reporter played by Carrie Coon, who is one of my favorite actresses working today. 
uh, and then they have their, you know, tough as nails editor in chief played by Chris Cooper, who I feel like I haven't seen in a minute. So it was good to see Chris Cooper back. I'm actually so I saw him in the trailer and I was actually surprised he was alive. I don't know why I thought he was dead, but I'm so happy he's not because he is just a, a staple of the hard ass detective person in every single fucking movie he's he's in. Oh, yeah. And he's got the heart of gold uh, underneath, yeah. of course. Yep. The mailman with the heart of gold. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So Cooper's great. So the cast is all star. Uh, they do not go super hard on the Boston accents, thankfully. Okay. That was going to be my first question. I noticed that in the trailer. First time I saw the trailer, I was like, this is clearly a Boston movie. It's called Boston Strangler and based on true events. And from what I could gather from the limited dialogue in the trailer, I was like, I think they might have actually made a Boston movie where they don't make everybody have over-the-top accents. Did anybody have an accent? Yes. So that's that's how that's how it is. That's normal. <laughs> <laughs> that's life. There are certain side characters that, uh, like either neighbors or or police officers that they interview, um, and so they tend to have the stronger accents. There is a detective that Kieran Knightley partners with who does an accent very, very well, very convincingly. Um, so it never, it, I never bumped on it once. Like, it just felt normal. Yeah, good job. So that was great. It tackles the story of the Boston Strangler, but it also has themes of... You know, sexism at the time of women in the newsroom, um, society as well. The sexism within society as a theme as well. Um, so that kind of adds some color to it. There's also like a theme around obsession and, and what that can do. Because Kira Knightley's character, similar to Zodiac, is kind of like um, Graysmith, um, you know, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character in Zodiac, where towards the end of the investigation, it kind of becomes an obsession and starts to affect other parts of her life. Needs to figure uh, it out. Driven. Driven exactly. to figure it out. Um, Zodiac goes a little more into detail around the case itself. And so I kind of wish there was a little bit more of that here. Like that's just me nitpicking. I love the like really in-depth stuff. But that's also uh, a smart choice in a lot of ways. Like they don't glamorize the violence. They like barely show it. So I think it avoids sort of the blowback that something like Dahmer gets. Yeah, we've been talking about that. Yeah, where, you know, there is a certain element of is depiction the same as endorsement. And they avoid that by just not depicting it, um, which I think is really smart. And so the focus is on the women at the center of the investigation. Like, that's where the movie is. It's not on the killer. Um, so just really well done there. And uh, one other note, um, Dave DeSmalchin, uh is cast as a creep per usual. And I just feel bad for that actor because he's just always typecast as a weirdo. If you remember, he was in The Dark Knight as like the Joker's like henchman guy. Um, he was also like the... Sni- like a sniveling, <laughs> w- like weaselly criminal is typically his character. He was like... Re- uh, like like dot polka dot man and um yeah in, in suicide squad in suicide squad yeah he's in um he's in the ant-man movies too he's like one of the the heist gang he's just got a super punchable face punchable face so he is cast once again typecast as a creep and so i just i just that just made me made me chuckle when i saw him come on screen but yeah great great movie um definitely worth watch love that bill the last movie we'll be talking about this week is empire of light. According to imdb.com, Empire of Light is a drama about the power of human connection during turbulent times set in an English coastal town in the early 1980s. Bill, should I go see it? 
So I gave this one a no. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a softer no, but it's just it's from last year, and it's now on HBO Max. And it was nominated for a few Academy Awards. I didn't get to catch it in theaters, so I went back and watched it. Sam Mendes wrote and directed it. Roger Deakins shot it. Um, so a lot of lot of pedigree uh, making the movie. Olivia Coleman stars in it. She's outstanding. Um, it takes place in the '80s in the UK, and Olivia Coleman works at like an old timey movie theater. And at the end of the day, the movie is basically a character study of her as a woman with bipolar. And so it kind of follows her and it also, she, her life intersects with a new uh, worker at the movie theater played by Michael Ward and they kind of build an unlikely relationship and bond. And it's, you know, it's a beautiful movie as you would imagine from Deacons. Um, it's competently made. The performances are really good, but there's just a lot of competing themes and ideas that never really gel. Like you have the mental health angle around her with bipolar, especially at a time when that type of stuff wasn't treated properly. Um, you have like the age gap between her and that uh, other team member. You have like the ode to cinema and the magic of the movies because it takes place in a movie theater. So they throw a couple scenes in about that. You have like a workplace comedy drama between the, the gang. Uh, there's a whole set of scenes focusing on race relations at the time and the bigotry that Michael Ward's character faces uh, as a black man in the UK at that time. There's a lot going on. Jesus Christ. For like for like a movie that's just under two hours, like some of the threads don't go anywhere and it just doesn't really come together Do you think, oh, here's a rebuttal uh, because I haven't seen the movie. Do you think that might possibly be the point of it? You know, is that like this woman struggling with mental health bipolar, the, there's kind of strands everywhere, right? There's ups, downs, in-betweens, things that never end, things that start and continue. Like, do you think that might possibly have played into it? Or do you think truly, like, there's just so much going on that it, it, it's hard to even make that sort of connection or leap if you had to? I don't know if I would go that far because they don't tell the movie from her perspective in a way like they did with the Anthony Hopkins movie where you had dementia. Like this is very much omniscient third person sort of storytelling. So it it, it felt more like they just Sam Mendes just bit off a little bit more than he could chew in terms of like when he was sitting down to write it. I think he thought of a bunch of ideas that could work and then just kind of threw them all in there. Um the trail I mean the, the the trailer was playing on IMDb. It looks beautiful. I love Sam Mendes. You know, we are a huge fan of I think now Sir Roger Deakins. I'll probably end up watching it. Might be like a plane movie or something like that. Yeah, a good plane movie. Just for sure. just for the visuals. I mean, every frame every frame of a Deakins movie looks like it's a, a painting. So I think it's something to 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 look forward to. And you could watch it for Olivia Coleman. Like she gives a brilliant performance. It's just for me, one really good manic performance does not make an entire movie. You know what I mean? Like I need a little bit more than that. Um, sure. And also if I wanted a movie about the magic of cinema, that's also recent, I would have rather watched Babylon, which Babylon also doesn't quite gel with all its themes, but it swings for the fences and I found it wildly entertaining versus this felt a little bit more dull. So, so yeah, it's just a lot going on. A lot of it works, but it doesn't quite come together for me to give it a, to give it a, a blanket. Yes. For everybody to see. Bill, for our last segment of Netflix and Bill, uh, what are you watching? And then what will you be watching soon? Uh, so for Netflix and Bill, uh, one thing I watched, past tense, uh, was a Netflix movie. So I figured I'd throw it in here. Uh, Troll, which was a Norwegian 
movie. Uh, so there's some English in there too, but it's also subtitled. I thought you were talking about the the little guys with the hair, the Justin Timberlake movie. The animated one? Yeah. Uh, no, this is a Netflix original. It's like kind of a monster movie, like a B movie. It plays out like a, it almost actually plays more out like a disaster movie. Um, and, you know, a troll comes to life from the mountainside and starts terrorizing Norway. Um, it's cool. Um, I like the idea. But if you're going to insert a monster into real world footage, it needs to blend seamlessly. Yeah. Like a, like a movie like District 9 uh, or like Cloverfield. And like the effects are good and some shots are that level, but some shots are not. And so if you can't sell me on the effects the entire time, because it's clearly a lower budget movie, um, it was hard to get into it. You know what I mean? Um, but a cool idea, cool concept. If they end up doing like an American remake, which they probably will, um, I bet it would have a little bit more budget and look a little bit better. Um, but it's still, it was, it was neat, but I would, I would still give it a no overall. Okay. And then for watching, um, kind of, The Last of Us uh, had its finale, season one finale. Um, part two has been confirmed uh, and confirmed that it will be, or excuse me, season two has been confirmed. And they've also confirmed that it will cover, or it will start to cover part two of the video game, The Last of Us Part Two. But they will not be able to completely tell the story of The Last of Us Part Two in a single season, which checks out because that game is probably double the length of the first game. So you need at least two seasons, if not three, um, to tell that full story. Uh, so I know you watched it as well. I know Craig watched it as well. We all loved this show. Final, final takeaways while we wait the next three years for the next season. Uh, I don't want to say it's a masterclass because I don't want to be have like recency bias there because we just watched it. But like, it's just a really good example of character driven storytelling. And one of the things that we talked about after the first episode was I hope that they don't focus only on the clickers and the infected, but the real kind of uh, meat of the games is that like, man's inhumanity versus man is the actual downfall of the world rather than a virus or a plague or whatever. And they really, they did that really well after the second episode, they were like, yep, we're going to lean into this. And like, I know a lot of people on Twitter got, got a little bit outspoken about not having a lot of infected and things like that, but I think they balanced it really well. And I think they did a really good job of showing, you know, the, the evils, um, that really existed in the world and it wasn't just um, the virus. So I was really happy with that how it came out. Craig, this was all new property to you. So I'm curious your final thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I've been the no familiarity with the story guy. Um, and yeah, the show was fucking awesome. I mean, it was like, we talked about a little bit last week, how like even just the sort of um, little vignettes of the introduction of various characters who's you get introduced to and typically you never see again after like one episode there's like the tommy episode then there's the episode with the preacher guy and the episode with the dude and his little kid brother or the deaf kid and all that stuff so like all that just like works really really great and doesn't feel like an episode of i don't know house or something like that where it's like <laughs> these little slices that you know what you're gonna yeah. get um, so no, I mean, it was great. I have, we, I thought the, also the last episode, there were some interesting kind of like a little bit of like a Rorschach test of the, you know, w w I'm not talking anymore about like the 
the creation of the show more like just the plot itself of like, was Joel right? Was he wrong? Was he justified? Was he not justified? All that stuff. So it left me and uh, left us with some interesting questions to ponder. Um, so no, ten. I'd say ten out of ten. Great show. Looking forward to the to the next. Yeah. I, and to, to to if I if I'm hearing what you're saying, we have a long runway before we start going off of what has already been written, which, as we all know, is like the downfall of every show. Yep. Is once they get off of the you know um, predetermined track of the books or the comics or the you know in this case video game, that's when shit gets weird. Yep. <laughs> so if you're saying that the second version of this game was way longer and that will be enough for two or maybe even three seasons, then sweet. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought the show ten out of ten. I was so glad that they nailed the ending or or kept the ending accurate to the game because that was my biggest fear because that is to me the strength of the game is that final couple cutscenes and not only the writing of them but how they put them together and the fact that they basically mirrored that for the show like cut for cut line for line the edits the sound cues the cuts to black like they literally just recreated those cutscenes. Um, which they had been doing during the regular season, I was nervous that they might get ner- like they might pull back at the in the finale, but they did not. They went full on, uh, which I was super happy about. I think if you've watched the show now, you don't need to bother playing the game. I think it would be repetitive. But I, if you haven't done either, I do think it makes. I think playing the game first is nice. I think it 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 lets you connect with the characters over more gradually over a longer period of time. It puts you in the shoes of the characters a little bit more. There's more action in the game, certainly than there was in the show. Um, so I, I don't want to say it works better as a game because I think they're different, but, and the show captures the emotions brilliantly and they do it in less time and they have astonishing performances by the actors. Um, and you don't have to collect and craft things or roll dumpsters around like you do in the game. Uh, but I, but I, but I still, when I think about the impact of the final cutscene in the game after having played it for 15 hours versus the end of this versus watch it, then again, I knew it was happening. So I'm just trying to think of if it makes a better game or show, and it's it's really hard to to distinguish. I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's just different mediums, right? So when you play video games, you're, you know what you're getting into. Like, I'm going to play a zombie game, and I'm going to try to survive to the end of the world, right? There's not like, there's not like, a why or a motive, a strong motivation, only to know that like I'm gonna shoot people and whatever, and then I'm gonna try to win the game. I think they did a really good job of building a little bit of motivation and why and backstory with like the the virus and how it came to be, and then like the decisions or the indecisions that ultimately led to people to be in the places that they are now. Like the first episode and the second episode when we learned that it was like in grain and in flour and that was like the main reason why it spread. Like he didn't bring home a birthday cake that night, which it could have been in the cake. She didn't eat the cookies she made with a neighbor on the first episode. Like, yeah, yeah. What if, what would have been worse for her, right? Would have been to be infected from the flour or to get shot by the National Guard, you know, the beginning, like it's those things that go on your head as they develop that you're like, holy shit, that you don't have to think about or need when you're just playing a video game. You have a controller in your hand because you're just like, oh, I'm in it. And like, this is fun. But yeah, it was fantastic. I think the second game, um, I think, well, actually, I think I'll enjoy the show of the second game better than playing the second game. I, the, my only gripe with the second game was how long it was. 
because there did reach a point gameplay perspective where I was sick of playing the game, but I need, I wanted to know what happened with the story. And I think when you look at just the cutscenes from the second game, I think they're fantastic and they tell a great story, but I didn't enjoy playing it by the end. Cause I was like, when is this game going to end? Cause I was sick of playing it. So I'm actually more excited to see this game turn into a show versus even the first one. So I'm, I'm amped for it to keep going. It's just going to take forever. I'm sure for them to write it and make it. So not holding my breath. Uh, what else are we watching? AJ? Uh, Ted Lasso on Apple TV begun, I think it's final season, fourth and final, third and final, fifth and final. I forget anymore. Um, the first episode, there's two episodes out now. Uh, I've only watched the first episode. It's fine. It's adequate. It's Ted Lasso. Knows what it is. Knows how to get laughs. It also drones on and can be a little just obnoxious, uh, at some points, but, um, they know what it is and I'm excited to get a resolution and, uh, hopefully it will go out on some sort of good note rather than a mediocre one. I think this being the final season means they know what they're doing and they're going to end it the way they want to end it, which I appreciate. And uh, I did watch the second one, which I thought was actually stronger than the first one. So I'm I'm enjoying it still. Uh, you got a couple movie tickets. I think you have one for tonight, right? Yeah. As of this recording, a couple hours from now, I'm going to see John Wick Chapter 4. Holy shit. So excited for that. Um, I also picked up a ticket for Renfield, the Nick Cage as Dracula comedy. Uh, and Fast 10. The what? Wait a minute. <laughs> the what? I saw the trailer la- last night for the first time, and I was I was pretty intrigued by it. Right. Renfield is Dracula's assistant, his personal assistant. And Nick play Nick Cage plays Dracula, and this is about Renfield, the PA. But, yeah, Dracula, the role <laughs> Nick Cage was born to play. It's like it's like de- it's like Devil Wears Prada, Devil Wears Prada, but Basically. with uh, Dracula. Uh, so I got a ticket for that, and then Fast Ten, which comes out, I don't even know when in the summer sometime. I bought a, a ticket because those tickets went on sale early, so I just grabbed one because I I got to see it to review it. Part one, mind you, of part, Fast Ten. There's two of them. There's two parts. Yeah, it's a two part for this finale. Yep. Uh, what about you? What are you watching soon? Uh, Disc TV, we have the final season of Succession coming out this Sunday. Can't wait. The 26th, which I'm pumped about. Woo! And then the next season of Dave, the little dicky comedy on FX comes out in a few weeks. I think like April 4th, 5th or 6th. Uh, I've watched all episodes from the beginning. I think the guy's one of the weirdest people alive, but the show is fucking hysterical and I'll uh, continue watching it because it's that odd. That's in my Hulu queue, so to speak, but I have not seen it yet. Uh, just do it. I think do it just so we can talk about it, but I, I find it really yeah, pretty. It's my type of humor. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to tell your friends to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It. Should I Go See It.